0: Hi again, everybody, Stuart Gandolf. One of the great things about having my blog is that I get to talk to smart people and learn things that I'm, you know, I feel like I'm expert in a lot of things and there's a lot of things I don't know as much about. And telehealth is one of those topics. Some of you may be aware that I'm co-writing a book with Dr. Mark Tager about cash pay healthcare. And during his travels, Mark met our guest, David Craig, who is the medical director for Spruce Health. And when I reached out to um, my colleague, Mark, about who'd be somebody great to interview about telehealth, Mark strongly endorsed David as a sort of a thought leader in that space. So welcome, David. Happy and glad to have you on our show.
1: Yes, Stuart. Thanks so much. It's great to be here.
0: The telehealth, I have a lot to ask you today and there's a lot of things that come up when I'm dealing with providers, whether they're practices or hospitals and common themes. So I'm going to ask you about a bunch of common themes today that uh, I hear about. And I'm assuming you probably hear the same ones uh, a lot as you talk to people out in the universe. But first of all, I guess, give our listeners, in case they're not familiar with uh, Spruce, what what your company does.
1: I'm a medical director for Spruce. I'm an emergency medicine physician by training. I still practice a day a week, and then I do Spruce full-time. And over the last five years, we've been involved in medical communications and telemedicine. So we started out doing direct-to-patient teledermatology, running our own operation with our Doctor Network, and we built all of our software custom for that. And what we realized after a couple years was that a lot of the value we built up was in this software that we had purpose built with a really tight feedback cycle between our clinical team and our engineering team. And so a couple of years ago, we platformized that, meaning we made it available to any medical practice that wanted to effectively do what we were doing. And at that point, we also expanded it and added a huge number of new communications features. So now the Spruce Care Messenger platform allows any practice of any size from solo practitioner to large multi-site clinic or even hospital system to uh, connect all their doctors and uh, uh, mid-levels and office staff into sort of a uh, secure messaging and uh, video environment and then also to be able to get in touch with their patient base. And that's either via phone. We do second lines and phone trees and VoIP and all that sort of stuff or facts. So the traditional methods and then also more novel things such as SMS texting or app-based secure communication. And then of course, telemedicine is a part of that. So we support the video visits and then also these adaptive questionnaires that we call Spruce visits that can save you a ton of time in uh, triage and also definitive treatment. So we like to look at ourselves now as a one-stop shop for medical communication, whether it's in your team or uh, with your patients. And that's what we uh, have been doing at Spruce now for about five years. So
0: we have video telemedicine and then also can patients just send photos if that's more appropriate?
1: Yes, absolutely. We support file sharing so they can send even small video segments if they want to do that instead.
0: Whenever I talk to doctors about telehealth, because today is really more we're going to focus on on singularly on telehealth. Reimbursement is the first thing that I hear. And there is a lot of confusion about what is reimbursable, what's not. Uh, Certainly a objection is, oh my gosh, I have enough stuff I'm doing for free now. I don't want to add something to my plate. Can you give us a sense of, and I know it varies state by state, but kind of where is telehealth today in terms of reimbursement?
1: In the classical sense of direct reimbursement for a specific telehealth visit, it's not great. It's patchwork and poor, is the way I would describe it. So, starting with Medicare, they have a bit of an antiquated policy. I think their hands are tied a little, but it's not a, an especially uh, robust reimbursement climate with Medicare. And then in Medicaid, it's very patchwork, which, you know, as its nature being state based, there are some states that have amazing Medicaid telehealth. Uh, health coverage uh, and others that have almost none. And even when they have good coverage, sometimes it has very uh, draconian limits and, you know, sort of the patient has to be in this type of environment. The provider has to be in this type of environment. You know, it can only be this specialty or that specialty. You have to be enrolled as a Medicaid provider, like all these limits. Uh, And then in private payers, That's also patchwork by state. There are health parity laws in a number of states that mandate that if you provide the same service via telehealth as you would have in person, you should be able to bill the private insurance. But for a number of reasons, those don't go well enforced. Uh, A number of payers have adopted telemedicine as part of their package offerings, but often it's sort of an in-house option. You know, they're contracted with one or two specific companies to offer things. So as an independent provider, being able to provide your own service and bill for it may be uh, trickier. So with that said, though, there are a number of ways that you can incorporate telemedicine or telemedicine-like technologies uh, that are effectively reimbursable. And one of them is, you know, the chronic care management codes that uh, Medicare and other payers are reimbursing for now. They have a number of requirements for providing ongoing care and out-of-office coordination and that kind of thing for your patient base. So that telemedicine can play into making that very efficient and high-quality care that you can get reimbursed for. And there are a number of other strategies like that where telemedicine can play in, such as post-operative visits or other things where you may not get paid because it's part of a previous service anyway. And if you can move that without sacrificing any safety or quality to a telehealth environment, it may be more efficient better for the patient. They often prefer it. And that's effectively a way of getting time and efficiency back, which is in its own sense, equivalent to reimbursement. So there are a number of creative ways to think about it, but direct reimbursement is still tricky. Getting better, but tricky.
0: One of the common things I hear about with telehealth is uh, patients in rural areas, especially follow-ups for surgery if they have to come back in two hours later. Is that a big part of your business for the telehealth or
1: is that just a piece of it? it's both it's It's a part and it's big. All of them are are important to us. I think what surprises people is that people in urban areas love telemedicine too. I mean, in time and motion studies of time lost to going to even regular doctor's visits, it's you know, 30 or 60 minutes or that kind of thing. And often transportation issues are difficult for people, even when they're in a suburb or an urban area. Often people with medical issues have trouble transporting themselves, uh, you know, and are dependent on a family member or someone else, and then work schedules play in. So I think Rural areas are a great, obvious use case for telemedicine, but I think even suburbs and urban areas don't get the sort of headline attention that they should because the studies have really borne out that people in those areas love to use telemedicine as well, when it's appropriate. I mean, people have a good sense of when their issue uh, at least could be triaged via telemedicine and and they're happy when it can be.
0: I think I've shared this on a, a previous podcast. I actually tried it out about a year ago where I had a, a rash. My primary care doctor like, I don't know what that is, you'll see a derm. And I'm busy. I'm flying around. I'm uh, speaking and you know doing whatever, seeing clients. Yeah. So yeah. I, uh, on a Sunday in frustration, I just contacted a telehealth provider, and you know got my script, and that was that. <laughs> Didn't have to go, you know schedule. Our, my Durham is probably at least half an hour away, and there's no traffic. It's a pain for me to get out, and for something so simple and something so minor. And sure enough, it was fine, and then sh- they were fine too. The derms busy, <laughs> so you know, rather <laughs> than trying to squeeze me in in a couple weeks and me to go through a lot of inconvenience, it worked out great. So. Um, it's funny. I, I wouldn't use it for everything, but I'm a believer for the right use case for me. And I live yeah. in, like, in Orange County, California. It's yeah, very convenient
1: ahead. for me when the interviewer anecdote uh, lines up with the point I was trying to make. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate sure. that highly.
0: Today's consumers want more. And we've talked a lot about the utilization of healthcare, And we'll continue to probably pound that drum for a long time because it's still new to a lot of people. But consumers want healthcare their way. Thank you very much. And so it's just one more way that shows. On that note, I had another question I wanted to ask. Who are the, some of the great, you know, classic use cases for telehealth today? Because obviously, for insurance, if insurance is a hassle, not everybody's going to say yes. But there's some, there's probably some cases where it feels kind of overwhelmingly
1: that you see that this is just a likely prospect for telehealth. It's a great question. I think you can slice by different axes to get your answer. So one cut is by field. And you know, for the uh, listeners you have that are primarily medical, that's the easiest one to start with, to imagine fields like dermatology where they're not entirely visual, but it's more visual heavy, so it may lend itself to telemedicine well. And, uh, and that plays out in things like you mentioned, like rashes. Uh, another cut is business model that you're in. So if you're a value based uh, sort of setup where you've already taken on the risk or the you know risk sharing arrangement with whoever's paying you, then that could be a good fit purely based on uh, you having a more capitated model. So there's business model. Uh, there's sort of a type of patient that you have. You can cut by that, too. So I think there are a number of factors to consider in terms of who's uh, who's a great fit for it. Another is the type of telemedicine you're talking about. And this is, uh, as you put it, a drum that I will be beating probably for the rest of my career, which is that telemedicine is not just video chat with a doctor. That's one thing that we learned in Spruce running our own uh, direct-to-patient telemedicine operation was that what a lot of people really liked was the once they had their visit with their doctor, they had a secure messaging channel between them and their care team, which was effectively a medical assistant and then our doctor panel. And a lot of people were messaging in for small issues. And a lot of what you have in medicine are small issues. And I don't just mean medical decision-making ones. I mean like the pharmacy won't take this, or there's a step therapy or a prior auth, or uh, can you move my prescription, or all these sort of pragmatic things. And being able to handle those in an efficient, low-friction way is better for your office staff, going to be better for you as a physician, and it's certainly way better for the patients. And then there's the concept of triage, too. So a lot of people, when they think of telehealth, they think of the most complicated patients they see, and they think, could I do that in a telemedicine? And the answer is no. And then they're worried about it. But what I I try to promote is telemedicine can help you pick off the low-hanging fruit on things. You know, if you're seeing uncomplicated urinary tract infection visits or something or birth control, you know, uh, consultations or whatever, you can really pick those off. And, and do those in a telemedicine format in a much more efficient fashion. So, uh, or if you're in dermatology, maybe you want to see every suspicious mole in person at some point, well, you can use telemedicine to triage it. You don't have to do every piece of definitive care. And I think that's a huge mindset shift that really uh, changes who is appropriate for telemedicine on the provider end and who's going to see a huge benefit from it. And you can brainstorm on that on your own, or I'm always, literally always happy to consult with anyone in any type of practice to figure out how... Telemedicine could fit into your workflows without being something that's just burdensome to you.
0: I find that certainly some practices are More sort of innovative than others, right? Some people are at different levels of their career So I think too, I yep. would guess that you know The ones that are just naturally more innovative in a lot of areas would probably be more open to the idea uh, If somebody's feeling overwhelmed and they're not super innovative, they're just trying to make it through the day It'd be probably less although in the other case I'm assuming if somebody's overwhelmed with a lot of low-paying work, they're looking for something better. So there's, there's ways of doing this. It just depends, like you said, on the use case, like who exactly is – what are we trying to achieve and um, – uh, uh, what are our goals?
1: Can I throw in one of my favorite anecdotes on that? That sure, has some published data, which which you know, doctors, we love our evidence basis for things. Uh, Kaiser, the Northern California branch of Kaiser, really does some great telemedicine research, and I've I've been a fan of reading their stuff for a number of years. They you know have their uh, specialty dermatologists that they're referring to from their more far flung parts of Northern California, and they were. Uh, it seems like underwater at some point with a number of uh, referrals in from their primary care physicians and whatnot. And they introduced, uh, and I don't know if they're still doing this, but they published on it a few years ago, uh, a system where the primaries could send in photos of the suspicious lesion and get basically triage treatment for, oh, that person should come into the main office for a biopsy tomorrow versus that can wait a couple weeks. And they really had amazing results. The time to definitive surgery for cancerous lesions went down. I think they even showed a mortality benefit. I mean, this was uh, really a a great, in my opinion, like pivotal sort of research study. And, you know, yes, that's within a large Kaiser system, but in my opinion, there's no reason that smaller uh, places can't sort of, uh, can't, can't do that too. If you're a provider that feels like you're already underwater with the number of visits you have coming in you can use a technology like telemedicine in some form or another to help prioritize those, whether it's keeping the ones that really need to be inpatient or, uh, you know, in-person, in-person versus handling small stuff via telemedicine. And as, you know, I think the primary thing there is better medicine, better results, better for patients. But as a secondary benefit, you could also prioritize things to in-person that are going to, you know, be the be the best billing for in-person too. So that's a way that even if the telemedicine may not be directly paying, you're getting a better in-person schedule in terms of reimbursement.
0: In terms of our listenership, a lot of our uh, subscribers are either doctors, they could be hospital executives, they're really both on like large, we have people that are from very, very large systems all the way down to single practitioners listening in today. Um, One of the questions I have for you is, I find that a lot of people don't do things until they need to competitively. (laughs) So do you feel like telemedicine, telehealth is is a good competitive advantage? What have you found to that, even if it's anecdotal?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm hugely biased, but yeah, I think it's a great competitive advantage. I think it would be hard not to offer it going forward. And I've written some blog posts on the Spruce blog about this, looking at surveys that have been done of different demographics. And everyone expects you know, millennials and the next generation after them to have a preference for it. But it turns out that a good number of people, even in the baby boomer generation or Gen X, have strong preferences for it as well. And their reasons are different. Uh, it's not just convenience or a technology preference. There were things when they were surveyed, it's things like, I don't want to sit in a waiting room with other people who might be sick. Or I've become mobility-limited in my older age so i want to be able to see a doctor for minor things without having to go in every time or i've gotten older and i've gotten more regular doctor's visits and it's become a huge burden on my schedule you know so anything i can offload there is is an improvement so what you end up seeing in these surveys is that there's generally a cross-generational preference for having some amount of remote care be possible and i'm phrasing it there as remote care to drive home the fact that again this does not have to be you chained to a desk doing a 30-minute video visit with some patient. Like, this can be secure messaging, this can be SMS texting, like patients love that. This can be the sort of adaptive question sets that, that let the patient take their time filling stuff out and you take two minutes to review it. You know, there, there are many ways to make this possible, but yes, people want it. It would be weird, I think, in the future if this were not a much larger part of medicine.
0: What about some of the obstacles, if people are interested in this kind of thing, what are the obstacles that people face?
1: Yeah, we talked about payment. That's a huge one. I think the other one is having a lateral thinking approach to your workflows. Everyone, you know, who's listening to this probably has some medical practice where they're very familiar with the workflows and where they get their patients from, how those patients are brought in for a new patient assessment, how they do follow ups, figuring out where telemedicine can fit into that. It's not necessarily a we're going to take the visit part and replace it with a video visit. Like that that may work in some limited capacities, but honestly, the place where a really good communications platform and telemedicine can fit in may take a more nuanced approach that reevaluates that that whole thing. Like as i alluded to earlier, maybe where it really makes an impact is your new patient prioritization and scheduling and that sort of stuff. Maybe where it makes an impact is post-operative follow-up. Maybe where it makes an impact is retention and competitive offering and Being able to charge a membership fee for extra access or that kind of thing. There are many, many places where it can fit into your workflow. So a common obstacle is having too narrow of a dream, too narrow of a vision. And you would say, okay, do I want telemedicine? Can it replace a visit? Not one for one. Therefore, I'm not going to benefit from it. Done. So it's like a, a thought block obstacle. Another obstacle is medical practices are just very busy you know, very, very busy a lot of times, especially procedural surgical ones. So having enough time to get your head above water to have the time to take a holistic sort of reevaluation of where you're doing things may be a significant obstacle in its own. We certainly face that regularly with practices, but uh, they are surmountable, I promise you. <laughs> so, so I think that's, that's a couple of the, the big ones. Really, one thing you did not hear me mention is the medicine. The medicine is not an obstacle. If you have a bunch of patient types you feel like you can't see via telemedicine, that's fine. Like, do not try to force that uh, square peg into the round hole or whatever phrase you want to use. Like, again, telemedicine can pick off low-hanging fruit. It can, you know, illuminate efficiencies. It can prioritize things. And a lot of times it can do definitive treatment, but it does not have to do it all the time. And I think that getting people to realize that is a big barrier. We even saw that in our own dermatologists a bit when we were running that operation. Uh, A lot of the conversations we had were about whether we would be able to positively, definitively treat every rash picture that came in. And being an emergency physician, I was able to share a little bit of a a different uh, professional mindset, which is that we don't have to. In the emergency department, we're responsible for identifying any sort of life or limb threatening, urgencies or emergencies, getting them treated. And a lot of times we can't identify definitively what it is, and that's when we triage out effectively two specialists. But the specialists have a slightly different mindset, which is that they should be the backstop and really the final version of care for anything in their professional domain. And when you move to telemedicine, it might aid you to shift that mindset a little and realize that you're not going to be the backstop over telemedicine. You're going to do the frontline stuff, the triage, the easy definitive treatment, that sort of thing. And there's no shame or problem. In fact, it's excellent care to say, this is not something that we're going to be able to finish out on telemedicine. You need to come in or I need to get you to a local in-person. Sort of appointment, that kind of thing. So that that mindset can be an obstacle too, but again, very easily surmountable.
0: Another question I have, and this is one that I think you'll find fun. I know I do. The uh, again, our company works with all kinds of healthcare practices as well as hospitals, lots of MDs, but also you know other professions like dentistry and other alternative care. A lot of uh, Mark's has a lot of alternative care and integrative medicine kind of following. So there's a pretty wide variety. Of um, people we come in contact with, so you know telemedicine for you know one group is one thing, but what about where um, you know cash pay kinds of practices where offers are important? My loyal readers will know that an offer, the way we position it is, it's a bite-sized piece of your services, so people can lower their perceived risk, so they can uh, sort of look behind the curtain before they make a full commitment. So the idea of an offer, whether it's some kind of a screening or some kind of uh, video chat or whatever um, availability, Uh, do you have users using that? And how successful is that? And is that an opportunity we should be thinking about for those kinds of cash-based practices?
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge opportunity. Uh, We definitely have a lot of cash pay practices. That was one of our initial very uh, organic fits with the Spruce platform. Uh, A ton of functional medicine, integrative medicine, direct primary care, other other places that have a more direct payer relationship with the uh, patient receiving the services. I think being able to show value and availability and connectivity is very important in those contexts so it's a natural fit and then as you pointed out an offer can be even going one step further I think that would be very easy to do on a telemedicine platform again when I when I use that term I don't just mean video chat I mean you could even have an offer that's involving maybe a short very short video visit or maybe just being able to text a question or two something that's a teaser that gets people interested and most importantly maybe starts humanizing you if they found out about you in a digital medium you know they they may not realize that this is a legit service that you're offering that there's really a person on the end of the line and having a chance to demonstrate that can be invaluable and can convert that into a you know a happy healthy paying patient much easier than other things one thing that we saw with the spruce dermatology clinic was when we looked through our reviews on like the app store and whatnot they were very positive, but a lot of them started with, wow, I can't believe this wasn't a scam. I thought for sure when I downloaded an app to get my app, you know, rash seen by a dermatologist, that wasn't going to be a real thing. But I looked it up and Dr. So-and-so is a real dermatologist and it really was them. And we're sitting there thinking like, yeah, of course we didn't defraud you. We're not terrible. But Uh what you realize through that is that the lens that people come at when they're looking at an ad on their phone or something is like, you know, it's their phone. They're not used to spending money. They're not used to getting real medical care. This could be a scam. And any way that you can get yourself and your practice over that credibility hump, I can't help but think that's not going to pay off in terms of long-term value.
0: Well, it's such an interesting idea, too, as we've been talking about different use cases. Like, I hadn't even thought of capitated care. It's fantastic if you've got a capitated care, right? So it's triaging with your patients. It makes all kinds of sense. Uh, Director of primary care has its own application again concierge medicine. It's a part of the package Where you know you have access to the doctor and it benefits both parties to do offer that as part of the package And again the idea of an offer if I want to do a screening of some kind and it's interesting too because that may uh, One of the sort of more advanced thinking of this. I'm not an attorney on this. I'm not giving legal advice but you know f- especially when a given screening is not covered by insurance uh, if it's done telemedicine, might make it easier to do something where you're worried about that whole, well, if I offer this, could it be construed as giving away a free exam? Because if it's not covered anyway, that might be helpful in this context. So, um, you know, for example, varicose vein screenings or things like that. So the um, make sure you check with your providers, attorneys, and all those things. Uh, any other comments? Wrapping up here. Uh, there are any other insights, things that I should have covered that I've, you know, just didn't occur to me, or like really interesting things you've observed along the way.
1: The biggest one is just a little bit of what we were talking about before. You said your listenership goes from solo providers up to large systems, and you know what we've seen is the people who've been on, you know, successful on Spruce follow that same model, and it doesn't have to be our platform. There are other ones too, but it's just what I'm most familiar with. I mean, we have solo mental health practitioners. That's a big demographic for us that uh, find a lot of value. Up to large systems, and they're using it in entirely different ways, which is where I've just slowly accumulated that anecdotal evidence that telemedicine is not one thing. If I could probably impart one message, it's that one. Telemedicine is not one thing. It's not one technology. It's not one type of messaging or video or audio. It's not one type of workflow piece. It's not one type of visit. There is a way to do remote care. I mean, telemedicine dates back to like the late 1800s. The first report I've ever found of it when I looked was in the Lancet from like 1800s. There was some town doctor that was called on his like telephone that had just been installed by a woman who had a baby with croup and he had to put the baby up to the phone and make that typical barky cough, you know, and was able to say like, well, your kid sounds like it's breathing okay, I'll see it in the office tomorrow, you know? And and I mean, that is the type of telemedicine that we've all been doing that for family, friends, probably even patients you know, for years. And there are now platforms that can make that something that you can formalize, really get it into a workflow, get it into medical documentation, get it into a form that's going to make it respect your time and the value you're providing. And the limitation on that is not, you know, medical. It hasn't been for 100 years. It's not uh, sort of pragmatic. There are ways to work it into your flows and it's not going to be payment either. The limitation is going to be vision and desire to do it. But I promise you there is a way that it can make your patients happier, your practice more efficient, and probably your bottom line better as well. There is definitely a way. A lot of our customers have found it. Again, you don't have to use Spruce, but I've seen a lot of success with people that are using us, and that's my takeaway, I think.
0: Well, that was terrific. Thank you, uh, David, for joining us.
1: I appreciate it.